back, everyone. Once again, I am not Mr. Bond, but I'm still trying to fill his shoes as much as possible. Today is Thursday, March 8th, and we have a new slash returning World Pool Master. Niels Fyen won the event last weekend with an 8-4 win over Shane Van Boning in the finals. To get to the match against Nils, Shane defeated Jason Shaw 8-3. It's interesting to see these two players jockey back and forth in their rivalry. I'd love to see a nice long challenge match between these two. Maybe something over three days with different disciplines each day. Well, we can only hope. This week I had a chance to talk with Eric Horlifson about his Swanee win, as well as what pool is like in Canada right now. I also had a chance to talk to Pat Fleming about the Living Legends Challenge that he held a week or so ago. Uh, He also talked about the AccuStats Video On Demand program and what his plans are for future Make It Happen events. Also listen for his thoughts when he's talking about the Living Legends Challenge, about who he would like to have play the Living Legends Challenge 2. Even the players don't know that he's interested in having them play in that just yet. Here you go. Let's get things started with my conversation with Eric Horlifson. All right. I'm joined now by Eric Horlifson from Canada. Toronto, right, Eric? Yeah. For the last 12 years, been in Toronto. Having never been to Canada, I'm, I'm not familiar with all the provinces and, and where they are. I mean, sure, I've heard of them before, but you know, I don't know East Coast, West Coast. So I assume you're West Coast? Uh, no, like Toronto's like Central East. So you'd be um, just north of Michigan, just north of New York State. I'm originally from further west, Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is like north of Minnesota. You had quite a hike the other day when you went to the Suwannee then. Uh, yeah, I've been spending some time in Vegas for the last couple of weeks, just staying with a friend down here. And uh, that was kind of the first tournament on my radar for being on the West Coast. Well, having... And possibly this is just because we don't get all of the results on AZ of of what's going on in Canada, but having not seen your name popping up in in tournament results, that was a big win. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I I was happy with it. And, you know, anyone in the U.S. is always satisfying, you know. Um, It was a big field, 128 players. Um, Oscar Domingos was there, Mickey Eminen. Almost Foldis, all the best players from around California. It was good. I was happy with it. Have you been out playing in in recent events besides Swanee? Um, not really. I, I still play a lot around Toronto. I teach around Toronto. Um, you know, I go to all the major Canadian events. There was a big one in on the East Coast. It's called the Maritime Provinces in in Canada. Uh, it was in Nova Scotia, Halifax. There's a new room that opened out there. It was um, 10,000 first prize. Uh, Mika came up for it. Um, Imran Majid was in the tournament. John Moore was there. Alex Pagulayan. And we all kind of finished near the end. Mika won the tournament. So that was a big one for Canada. 10,000 first prize. What's what's pool look like in Canada right now? I mean, I know there's there's the Falcon Tour. Is the 404 Tour still going? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, well, so the 404 tour is based in Ontario. There's a lot of tournaments going on in Ontario. I mean, you know, you got 52 weeks in a year. There might be a hundred major, you know, terms of a thousand or more first prize in Ontario. Um, so yeah, Ontario's super active. Um, 
Quebec still has the Falcon Tour, and they have at least 10 other open events throughout the year. Um, there's a tour called the Atlantic Nine Ball Tour on the East Coast. Those are uh, 10 events a year, 2,000 added. Um, they do a lot in Calgary, like, you know, going west, Calgary's active. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. And now you had a big tournament out there last year, with the East Coast Canadian Nine Ball? Yeah, that was the one I was talking about in November, yeah. Oh, okay. And I understand he's working on uh, dates for this year? Yeah, they're set already, same time. I believe it's around the second week of November. Okay, and it, you said it was 10000 for first. Is I mean, it's, it's pretty much open for any Ameri- or, or player from anywhere to play in, I would assume. Yeah, open tournament. I mean, it, he did a lot of legwork, and it looked like they were going to have, you know, 10 to 15 Americans coming down, but it ended um, the AccuStats Invitational 9-ball or 8-ball ended up being the same weekend, and I think there was a couple other tournaments that ended up being the same weekend. But yeah, next year we hope we expect to see some American players up there. It was a great tournament. There was 240 players in the tournament. Um, <clears throat> second chance tournaments, you know, players were everyone played together in the main tournament, A, B, C rankings, and there were second chance tournaments for the A, B, and C players. It was great. Now, how do you determine? An A, B, C, or D rate ranking. How does that work? Um, that one was kind of arbitrary based on their what what their rankings are out there. So, like pro, you know, the pro term, uh, the pro players are kind of obvious. They're just open pro players, and it was just kind of a word of mouth thing for the A, Bs, and Cs. They they go loosely off Fargo out there too. There wasn't a specific Fargo rating for you know. If you were this Fargo number, you're an A, B, or C. But I think they took that into consideration as well. Oh, okay. I know you were writing some instructional stuff online, and and I haven't seen a lot of new instructional stuff, but I've seen a few opinion pieces from you. You're you're still part of uh, Q Sport Nation? Yeah, definitely. Um, My partner Marcus and I have been doing it for, I think we'll be coming on our fourth year in October this year. And, yeah, we're happy with how things are going. I mean, we have a post-reach, post-reach in the tens of thousands now every month. And, uh, you know, just happy to have a voice in the billiard community. So we do, like, just media, tournament media releases, editorial opinion pieces. Kind of try to separate ourselves from the other media groups with the editorial pieces, you know, try to get our two cents in there every once in a while and don't hold any punches on what we think about what's going on in the pool world, you know? Well, that's what I find the most interesting. I mean, you see stuff, some of the stuff that you see that would be roughly the same thing on Facebook is not as well written. I mean, the stuff that you write, it's obvious this is not just spur of the moment hey, I thought like telling people what I feel about such and such a tournament. You know, it, you've sat down and, and it looks like you've, you've worked on the piece for a while. It's, it's very professionally done. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah, my partner Mar- Marcus has a degree in journalism and yeah, I enjoy writing and we both enjoy it and we're looking forward to just getting big, bigger and better in the future. Is, you think pool's getting bigger and better in Canada? It's tough for us because we don't see it so much. 
fans here in the States. Um, I mean, I know at one time there was a, a, a building rivalry between the U.S. and Canada. There was a, that challenge match. Right, the border battle challenge, yeah. Right. I mean, do you see things getting better, or, or, or what do you think? I think it's moving along slowly. I think all, all over North America, people aren't playing full-time as much. People aren't, aren't, aren't taking competitive pool maybe as seriously as they were 20 years ago. I think life's just getting busy, you know what I mean? And pool's kind of, in my opinion, just getting put on the back burner a little bit. And, you know, with handicapping and limited tournaments, and, you know, I've seen it a lot in Ontario where the lower handicaps are playing for more money than the higher handicaps. You know, I think that's a, that's a big issue, you know. Um, a lot of tournaments where the pros aren't allowed to play like even handicap tournaments where the pros aren't allowed to play. So these kind of things, I think, really hurt the game, you know. Um, Quebec is really strong. I can see some good players coming out of Quebec. Um, you know, if someone wants to be a champion, they'll, they'll always find a way, no matter what scene they're in. I mean, we have, we have a young player in Toronto named Waleed Hashem, and the guy's jumped like three levels in the last two years. And I, you know, he's well on his way to becoming a pro level player. So, I mean, regardless of what, what, whatever system you're in, if, if you want to be the best, you're going to find a way. But I think that certain players might just get, you know, sidetracked by the format of the tournaments, you know, a lot of them being handicapped and a lot of them being exclusive. So I kind of see that, that type of scene being developed all over North America, and I can see it even in Vegas since I've been here for the last two weeks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's hope for the game. We better hope so, because we all love it, right? So. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> um, you mentioned the idea of amateur players playing for more prize money than open players, and, and that's, um, that's a thought that I've heard from a couple other top players. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I just think it impedes, it impedes people from really trying to get better. I mean, if you look at, just for example, if you look at one system in Quebec, there's, so in Quebec, they'll, they'll do like an A, double A, triple A, semi-pro and pro. Um, it's actually a, a rule in the association that you can't add a large amount of money to a lower ranked tournament. I mean, say you can only add $250 to an A tournament all the way up to like $1,000 for a pro tournament or, or more, 2000 or whatever the, you know, if it's a big, if it's a big event, they'll add more than that. But it's a rule in the association that you can't add money to lower tournaments. And I think that that system in particular, I mean, the best players in Canada right now are coming out of Quebec. And the most improved players are in Canada are coming out of Quebec. And this is an association rule? Absolutely. They, you know, you, if you want to have tournaments within that association and that association is pretty much, you know, they, they run the most tournaments and the most respected tournaments. You, you can't add, you just can't add big money to lower ranked tournaments and everyone plays even, you know, so if you're in the A division, you play even with A players. If you're in the double A division, you play even with double A players and A players can play in that division. You can play one division higher, but obviously you can never play one division lower. 
and it's all based on points, like a similar to a Fargo, but not actually Fargo numbers, but a you know similar point point based ranking system where you know if you beat better players, you go up, right? Not an arbitrary decision by the the tournament director what the handicaps are going to be, right? <clears throat> That's interesting to me. It, it, it's very similar to the system we used to have here in Arizona. And I had thought for the longest time that for the system to continue being successful, there had to be some sort of limit on the added money based on ratings. But I just knew it would never happen. So I find it interesting that Canada has been able to do that, and, and it works apparently. Yeah, they've pulled it off there. Um I don't know, recently on the East Coast, the East Coast, obviously, they've always played pool out there, but they didn't have major tournaments for a long time. And in the last three years, they've, they've had a tour um, that is open, not handicapped. They draw 100 players a tournament. They have 10, 10 tournaments a year. They draw 100 players a tournament, open, not handicapped. You know, So that's a good system, too. There's second-chance tournaments for the lower-ranked players on the same weekend that they have the open tournament. And that's the way they ran that East Coast nine ball. And that, that ran great. I mean, they drew 240 players. That's big numbers, you know. So those kind of things are encouraging to me. And I think that that's the way pool needs to go, you know. But when you see these limited tournaments, you know, for example, in Toronto, pros can't play in about 75% of the tournaments, if not more. And all the tournaments are handicapped. And the lower-ranked players are playing for more money than the higher-ranked players. Like, that's just... I don't feel like that's going to necessarily breed better players, you know. It's not the way I grew up, right? Right. No, I can understand old, that. But I, I, I've seen things change, you know, not only there, but in, in a lot of places, right? And you had mentioned something earlier about um, some kind of a junior program that's starting up out there? Yeah, so, uh, you know, along with the, the strong tournament structure system in Quebec, Elaine Martel actually... I mean, you can hear people talk about, oh, let's get pool in the schools and, you know, like, like, like they do in China and, and whatever. Elaine Martel, you know, a name that's probably familiar to you guys, um, has actually done that in, in Montreal. He has 300 students in school programs now, about 20 different schools. Um, he's gotten to a point where he actually has, he's gotten the schools to get tables in the schools so he just organizes leagues for them and oversees the leagues and gives them a little bit of instruction every week and yeah he's doing that as like a semi-full-time job now and he's expanding you know started it all on his own great guy and doing good things for pool in montreal so that you know i feel like if anyone wanted to think about how to model that in in another situation in North America, you know, give them a contact and, uh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. Um, so what do you have coming up? What's, what's on your agenda? You, you have tournaments coming up or are you hanging out in Vegas or. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be based out of Vegas for the next few months. Um, the Andy Mercer Memorial is the next one in Vegas. It's on the 17th. Um, the U S open banks in one pocket is on the 24th of March. Going to play in some West Mes West State tours. Um, I'm not going to go to the next one. It's in Sacramento on the 10th. Uh, the next one after that is um, April 7th in LA. So yeah, just happy to be out playing and 
staying with a friend down here and happy to be back in the U.S. and back in action, so it's good. Well, it sounds great. Um, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time for us. For people who are interested in reading your stuff or, or checking out the website, it's qsportnation.com. Yes, absolutely. And we have a Facebook page as well, Q Sport Nation, three words, Q Sport Nation. The website's all one word, obviously. Um, yeah, we just did a, we're just putting out a shirt order tomorrow or maybe the day after. So if anyone's in, interested in buying some clothing for the website, you can t- contact myself on Facebook or Marcus Noe on Facebook, Marcus, M-A-R-K-U-S-N-O-E. Yeah, so we're both on Facebook. If you guys are followers at all or anything and want some merchandise, you can get in touch with us. All right, sounds good. Uh, good luck at the at the Mercer and at the Mez stops, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you uh, in more results. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. All right, thanks, Eric. We'll talk to you later. Okay, thanks. That was my conversation with Eric Horlifson. It's good to see him playing in more U.S. events. Uh, Personally, I only get to see him at Turning Stone. Eric's a good guy. He shoots well, and he's fun to watch. Next up, I had a chance to talk with Pat Fleming about a couple different things. The Living Legends Challenge, his Make It Happen events, the video on demand. Here's that conversation. I'm joined now by Pat Fleming from AccuStats. Wait a minute, let me back up. BCA Hall of Fame member Pat Fleming from AccuStats. <laughs> Does that ever get tired of hearing that? No, it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> now, you just had a, a big, what was it, the Living Legends Champion, or the Living Legends Challenge or Championship Challenge? Living Legends Challenge. It was competition, of course, between Mike Siegel and Earl Strickland. And it was designed to be more than just pool playing, to show two personalities who are quite vocal. And we decided to, uh, rather than have one long session of, let's say, nine ball or ten ball or eight ball, but to have six different disciplines so that there'd be finality, you know, six times, or actually 12 times because we're going to do it twice. And so that worked out good. And what was really interesting was that uh, it was well received by the players being miked. And uh, if it was a regular tournament, of course, we would, the referee would approach the players and say, okay, you know, that'll be enough. But uh, under these circumstances, you know, <laughs> let them go. <laughs> and uh, Siegel really let go. So, uh, it's interesting to see his personality because he wanted to win. And when he missed or things went wrong, boy, he he let everybody know. And demonstrating and just, you know how he he gets. And, right. Uh, it was great. It was good. So it was well received. Yeah. Now, Earl won. Um, yeah. Rather handily. What was it? Seven? Well, it appeared that... Uh, he was, well, first of all, he was the, the favorite because he competes regularly now. I asked him how often he plays, and he says he plays every day. And I said, well, an hour or two? He says, no, four hours a day, at least four hours a day. And Mike, he just started preparing for this competition. He hasn't played at all. So he was a big underdog. And when the match began, it was obvious that 
Earl was a stroke and he was confident. And Mike was deliberate, tentative, and uh, not as confident. And Earl won the eight ball, and then he won the ten ball. Then straight pool came up, and we all thought, okay, now's your chance, Mike. Catch up a little. And, uh, you know, it was a shame, you know, just he just couldn't make a ball. And uh, he lost 125 to 6. Ouch. And Earl didn't run more than 30 or 40. He didn't run like 80 or 90. And so it was 3 nothing. And then they played 9-ball, and Earl won that too. And that was the first day. And then the next day they opened up with Banks. And uh, it was a close one, but Earl did win that one, 3-2. to two. And so it's now 5 nothing, and the winner has to win 7 of the 12. Okay, could be a tie, I guess, 6-6, six, six, but the winner had to win 7 sessions. And so now it's 5 nothing, and it looked like, well, just a matter of time, and it might end the next day. So the next match was one pocket, and Mike won legitimately. He just outplayed Earl in the one pocket. And then after six sessions were completed, the player who was behind in sessions got to select the next discipline because we already went through one round of six disciplines, and now we're going to go through twice. But the player who's behind has the choice of disciplines for the next set so that I guess he can catch up a little. So... I approached him and I said, okay, Mike, what do you want to do for the seventh set? You're down 5-1. He said, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> one pocket. I just won one pocket. Why don't I want it again? <laughs> and he did win the one pocket again. So now it was 5-2. Now they're playing straight pool. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he's revived a little bit. And it was the most amazing match. The tension was just unbelievable because at the end they were both within a rack of winning and uh, Mike won 125 to 123 and so then it was 5-3 and the end of the uh, second day then we went into the third day and well Earl won the first one easily which was eight ball which Mike chose and then uh, ten ball um, and uh, I'm surprised he didn't pick Banks or something, but he, he lost. It was closer that second set, but he lost. And then once it was over, it was a score of 7-3, to three, I guess. Yeah, yeah, 7-3. And, um, and then Mike lost the next two, I think, where they played another two just to for bonus money. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So they were trying there, too, to win extra money. And, uh, yeah, eight, nine, ten, wait a minute, let me just see. There's six, seven, eight. They played four more sets. Twelve, six, seven, eight, yeah, five, eight. Yeah, okay, it was seven, three, and then it ended up, I think it ended up eight, four. But in any event, Earl won seven to three. That's how that ended up. 
Now, you and I spoke last week when I was putting together the article for it, and I was kind of surprised that this whole thing was Mike Siegel's idea. Mike Siegel called me, and he he had an idea of playing someone. Uh, I guess just stream someone, you know, and you know one camera, and I don't know why, but uh, you know, and then for a fee, for a fee, play him and then somebody else for a fee. It's like payday. And I suggested that uh, why don't they play two or three days, and I'll get a crew of thirteen people, and we'll make something bigger out of it, you know, promote it and have six disciplines rather than one and have you mic'd. And, and uh, so then he called um, Earl to see if Earl would want to do it, and Earl did. So uh, that's how that's how it got underway. You know, Mike called just for kind of a day exhibition or something, you know, but uh, then I suggested the uh, the other routines. Six disciplines, mic'd up, bonus money. So it was good. Well received. Yep. Certainly you can't speak for Mike, but was there any inkling of a comeback from him? Or was this just a one-time thing? Well, uh, I, I don't think it's a comeback thing. No, no. In fact, he was so frustrated. He says, I'm never playing again type thing, you know, but that's him, you know, at the moment. I mean, he missed the ball. I'm never playing again. <laughs> but uh, no, I don't think it's a comeback or anything. I mean, he's 65, and he'd have to really, you know, practice and be devoted to the game to be competitive. And he doesn't want to play unless he's competitive. And I think that um, he thought he would be more competitive at this stage, you know, he did get a lot of bad breaks, but usually when you get bad breaks, you cause them. But, um, yeah. Do you have plans? I mean, this was the first Living Legends challenge. Do you have plans for, yeah. for further challenges? Well, I was wondering who could possibly top those two because I don't want players who are competing today. I mean, Earl was the exception because he was a living legend. But I don't think there's, I don't know of any living legends that are playing right now. I know there's some great players, but they're not legendary yet. Um, so there's a couple names that popped up, and I have to call them yet and see if they're interested. But I'll tell you who they are, so when they hear their names, if they do hear it or it spreads, they'll, they'll know even before I call them. I'm thinking of Jim Mattia and Keith McCready because they are both verbal. They both still can play. And it's more about their presence rather than, you know, who wins or loses. But I have the six disciplines, something similar to uh, the Siegel one because that was well-received and maybe we'll get a better response even on this one. But I have to call them yet, so guys, if you're listening, wait for that call. I would, I would pay money to watch that match. <laughs> well, you know how they are, right? They're just beautiful <laughs> on camera with mics. Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
we'll we'll be saying, "Come on, guys, play the game, will you? Get back to the table." <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would be that would be quite a quite a sight. Um, yeah. Now, we talked on a on a recent episode to change the subject. We talked on a recent episode, uh, Dave Bond and myself, uh, but yeah. we haven't. You know, I hadn't had a chance to talk to you about this. Uh, during an interview, you launched a video-on-demand service in the last yeah. couple of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, in the last four months, and it's been growing exponentially every month. So uh, it's a good it's a good decision by AccuStats, and the reason we made that decision was that DVD sales have tumbled so much that we. We could never stay in business selling DVDs, so we had to change our our business model. And uh, my son suggested Vimeo, and he is taking our programming and putting it on Vimeo. And what's nice about it is that our best customers were paying 9.95 for a DVD, and once we ship it to them with another three dollars, it's 12.95 for one DVD, and that was best deal we had for years and years so now for that same price they can subscribe to vimeo for a month and watch as many videos as they want i mean if they could fit in a hundred good for them but uh, we're going to continue to add programming to it for instance uh this any day now the straight pool from the make it happen tournament goes up and then uh Five or six weeks later, the Derby City Classic, another 30-something matches will go up. And uh, and I'm going to look at the Siegel-Strickland thing and see if that's worthy. I have to do some editing because although the, chan- the audio was on different channels, when you were listening to it live, sometimes the commentators were in the middle of a sentence, and then Mike or... Earl would speak, and you really couldn't tell who was saying what. So I have to review them, the videos, and, you know, delete one of them, you know, so that we could hear somebody, maybe maybe the players, maybe the commentators. And then that might go up on uh, Vimeo also. But that'll be another 30, 40 hours of viewing. <laughs> when, you, when you talk about the number of hours, it makes me wonder, for... Let's say the average match is 90 minutes. Um, First of all, you've got a a crew, like you say, of 13 people who Mm -hmm. are videotaping it. And and I've I've been, you know, quote-unquote behind the curtain when you were doing streaming. And, I mean, I know you're back there with all the equipment, handling all the switching and and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So when an event is over, let's say the U.S. Open and you get... 10 matches of 90 minutes each. How much time does it take you once you're back in the office on each match to get it ready just to go to DVD? Well, we're not making DVDs anymore for our new programming. That's history. Uh, Starting with the U.S. Open of 2017 that ended in October, we've not made any DVDs for that tournament, the Derby City Classic, the two Make It Happens, and the last Derby City Classic. Um, DVDs don't sell well anymore. It's like VHS tapes. 
The younger generations don't own DVD players. The computers don't have DVD slots. The manufacturers of blank DVDs are fewer. It's just a matter of time. And our sales, you know, some days we'll have zero. Well, how are you going to stay in business <laughs> that way? So, but what has to be done is when we're done with an event, I have to take the files because they're all stored on computer files at the tournament. And then I have to copy them to a hard drive and then mail them to our editor in Texas. And uh, that editor is my son, who's well-versed in it. And then he goes through, and he's like an audiophile. He's a musician, so he's got to make sure the audio is perfect. You know, all the commenta commentators are on two different channels. The ambient sound is on a different channel. And he's mixing it to make sure that it's television-worthy because we send it to Fox Sports in Asia. And it's got to be television-worthy. If we just sent it raw the way we recorded it, uh, you'd have some commentators high, some commentators low, the microphone isn't close to his mouth or it's too close to his mouth. and So Junior has to fix all that. The video doesn't need much fixing at all unless we make a mistake with graphics or something. But the audio is the real fix because I'm not in the booth and I'm listening and it sounds okay, but then I'm focused on other things and the audio is the real fix, not the video. And we'll send it to him. And, uh, of course, he's a musician, so he's got other work. So it might take, you know, a month before we get it onto Vimeo or to, to Fox Sports, actually. Then another week to get it on Vimeo. And you mentioned that, the, that you sell the matches to Fox Sports in Asia. It, mm -hmm. Is America interested in, and when I say America, I'm thinking ESPN, Fox Sports, that sort of thing. I mean, do any of them have any interest in pool anymore? Well, they don't have enough interest to pay for it. If you brought it to them and gave it to them and gave them the rights and everything else, they'd, they'd take it. But then why did you spend $40,000 producing it? to give it to them, and then ESPN will say, well, you're supposed to get sponsors, you know. It's going to be on ESPN. you got to charge, you know, charge them to make your money. So we never went that way. Jerry has, many, many years ago, uh, mm -hmm. Jerry and I were talking about photography at pool tournaments, and we had uh, a couple photographers that would go in and take pictures for free and provide them to the promoters, and Jerry used to always tell me the, those photographers are setting the price and no one else is going to be able to go in and charge to take pictures at a tournament if the price has been set at free. Uh -huh. Do you think that's what's happened with video, uh, you know, billiards oh. coverage? Absolutely. Um, to go and watch pool on your computer for free, although it's not television production quality, it's worth free. <laughs> so if you want to see a player, uh, even if it's, you know, not following a player around the table or getting close-ups of the balls and things like that, but you just want to see the player play and his style, it's a bargain. It's a bargain. And as a result, 
DVD sales slumped, but now I think the bargain of 12.95 a month to see TV production with great commentary as much as you want, I think that uh, that'll hold its own. And how many events do you have up on Vimeo now? Uh, after I think tomorrow, by tomorrow there'll be seven, and then uh, when the Derby City goes up, it'll be eight, and then we'll start going backwards, so that uh, tournaments before the U.S. Open, and we have some of them now on Vimeo. Some of those tournaments are available on DVD or Vimeo. Now there's there's a generation of pool enthusiasts that don't own DVD players. Uh, I'm sorry, that don't own uh, computers. They don't use the Internet, and uh, they don't like watching pool on their computer. They like to have the DVDs. And so we've got, you know, 25 years of DVDs that are still available, and they'll still be available forever. Long term, do you envision having everything that's available on DVD available on Vimeo? Yes. Now, that might take a few years because we've got 2,000 <laughs> titles going back 25, 30 years. So it's going to be a while, but we're just going to continually add programming so that the subscriber has a nice selection. Something like uh, Netflix. I subscribe to Netflix. And for, you know, 12 bucks a month, I can watch as many movies as I want. I mean, it's hard to beat. Right. Yeah. So it's the same thing. Yeah. Same concept. Now, you mentioned it earlier, the, the Make It Happen events. Are you working on the next one already? As soon as I find my shirt. Your what? <laughs> as soon as I find my shirt, I'm going to have another one. Your shirt. Yes. Okay, you're going to have to elaborate on that one. I lost my shirt. Ah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to be a little dense today. No, it's run its course. It was great, and then it, uh, we just it didn't grow. Okay, and whether we made money or lost money, we still wanted to do it. What it did was it gave players money. No. No travel expense, no hotel, no entry fee, free money. It gave my guys work and gave us product. So it wasn't uh, that important whether we really made money right away. Uh, the last tournament we did, we did t two of them at once. And uh, we only charged the price that we usually charge for one. It was $300 for, uh, to support a Make It Happen tournament. So we had two of them and said, okay, two for one, basically half price. And we really didn't get any more than we did for, the, for one, but we spent almost twice as much money. So at that point, I said, well, it's probably run its course. Um, it's not growing. And so we're going to think of other promotions, but to Make It Happen, we did 12 of them. You know, so a lot of people made a lot of money. They were happy. You know, I don't know why other promoters don't do something like that. You know, the players, the pool players, uh, you know, it's a shame that 
there's just not enough money. They got to pay for travel, and they got to make a couple thousand just to pay for expenses. Right. So, so it's tough for a pool player. So, some other promoters should try something like make it happen where they invite some players to come and compete. But nobody else has done that yet. And when you speak from the standpoint of a player, you're not just guessing that that's what players feel. I mean, you, you've been hitting balls again. What was, tell me about the Chinese oh, eight ball thing you did. Well, I'm just dabbling. I mean, as you know, I played serious pool 30 years ago. Uh, but AccuStats took over, and of course, you know, I had to focus on that, and I played less and less, and then I didn't want to go out and embarrass myself because I wasn't playing like people would expect me to play. Uh, but last year, I thought I would just hit some balls, you know, not to try and win any tournament, but just, I've watched so much pool, you know, I enjoy it, so I just wanted to play some. And Ed Ladawi asked me to uh, play in this Chinese eight ball tournament. And I never played on a Chinese eight ball table. It's a nine foot snooker table with big balls. <laughs> and uh, I got down on that table and I look at a pocket and all I saw was cushions. Say, How do you make a ball? <laughs> well, I, somehow I won the tournament. <laughs> they sent me to China and I won a couple matches over there too. So I was please but of course every shot you know i was a nervous wreck you know because i'm not competitive you know because i don't practice i don't play enough uh but when i'm 70 i'll probably start again and that's the end of this year when no I'm 70, i'm gonna start playing that yeah. can't be yeah i mean not serious but more than i play now i'm gonna take up that hobby again i'm gonna ride my bike more those are the two hobbies i have spend more time with my wife those are the three things I'm looking forward to when I'm 70. Play more pool, ride more bike, and spend time with Diane. Yeah. And the, the office, you know, I'll slow down with the office. We'll do as many tournaments as we can, but I'm not going to come in the office 10 hours a day and, you know, just work the office six, seven days a week. So, yeah, that's my plan. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> well, Pat, it's late in the day, and I'm not going to keep you from right. getting home and, and spending whatever time you can uh, with oh, those yeah. three things now. <laughs> well, it's snowing in the Northeast, so <laughs> it'll be rough just to drive your car home tonight. It, it yeah. was 80 here yesterday. Oh, I feel sorry for you. It's <laughs> too hot, yeah. <laughs> All right, I appreciate you taking some time and we will look forward to the straight pool on the Vimeo channel and I'm yep. I'm definitely looking forward to Jimmy and Keith. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. Bye. Okay. Bye. Well, everyone, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll have another show for you next Thursday, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and I'm not sure who will be on that show, but I'm sure there'll be a show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.